RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to episode two of the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, that is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Floyd. Pete, how you doing, man? What is going on, man? Uh, you know, great fights this weekend. We have the Contender Series coming up. Some more great fights. I'm really, really excited about the DC and Stipe Miocic fight, but we'll get to that. I'm just pumped. All these fights during quarantine. It's awesome. Speaking of quarantine, I'm sitting here in my office on Saturday. We're texting back and forth uh, about some various things, and then you just call me, which I'm like, okay, all right. And then you reveal something to me because uh, something that uh, you learned over the past couple of days. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, the place where I work offered free antibody tests for any employees and it actually came out that I had covid you know, surprisingly, but it, it actually makes sense. And uh, I remember back in late January, February, feeling pretty under the weather before we even knew what, you know, COVID-19 was or the coronavirus. And we, you know, it was, I thought it was just seasonal stuff, uh, you know, head cold or allergy, whatever was going on. It was just, uh, it was crazy, man. And now to think back, like, I didn't miss work. It's just so weird. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's so much, so many sicknesses going on around that time, and the winter sicknesses and everything. And to now know that I had it, it's, it blows my mind. It's pretty wild. Yeah, man. I think is I don't know if, if we talked about this last week on the debut episode. Which, by the way, if you didn't see the debut episode, you can check that out on YouTube. Also, you can check that out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to the audio version. Be sure to uh, give us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out so much. Also, be sure to hit that thumbs-up button if you're watching this show on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel as well. But uh, So this was like, I don't know, two months ago? Yeah, probably about two months ago. Someone that I'm, I was around said, hey, Jason, I've been exposed to COVID. I've tested negative, but just want to let you know. I come home, and I just like I start thinking, like I feel like I have all the symptoms at that point. You know, yeah, and yeah. then my, and, and like I've talked to people, like so you're the second person I've known that has either tested positive or had the antibody test, and you know, so like you hear them talk about their symptoms of like what they felt, and then all of a sudden you're like, hold on, do I have a sore throat? Can I can I not smell things? Can I taste yeah. things? Like it, 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 it's like, and you talk to so many people, they just say it just it just messes with your mind. Yeah, your brain starts playing tricks on you. And I'll tell you, you know, looking back, because it was quite some time from now, um, you know, February, January, I had a sore throat. Um, I know I had a pounding, pounding headache and so bad. It was just like it was making me nauseous. Um, and then, you know, the sore throat, it was just so weird. And I, I think the reason I know now, like, oh, my goodness, how did I not see this before? Is I couldn't taste anything. Like I lost my sense of taste. Like it was so weird. It was like a week and a half to three weeks where things just, I don't know. I was just like loss of appetite. Didn't really want to eat much. And I was like, this really just doesn't taste right. And, uh, it's crazy. You know, you know, my antibody tests for the rest of my family are coming back. So I'm very interested to see that. But you know, when COVID happened and the quarantine happened, we quarantined really well. We didn't even see our parents for probably three and a half, four weeks so we literally shut down and stayed in the house and everything. And uh, it was like the end of the world for a couple of weeks there. So, man, it's just so wild. I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's, you know, 
I think we've all been touched by this in one way or the other of how it's affected our lives. I mean, like, you know, like it's weird. I go to my, my main office building and like hardly anyone's still there. It's just crazy. Like you just, you feel like you're the only one there. I mean, it's, we've all gone through it and uh, it's a part of our world. It's, you know, part of the fighting world, you know, we've seen in, in the sporting world. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting to watch baseball with no fans in attendance. It's kind of weird. NBA, I don't feel like a major difference. Fighting, I don't really sense a major I like, difference. Yeah, I, I like the fighting aspect with the no fans because it's, I don't know, that's how the Contender Series is. So we've kind of been accustomed to that. And, um, you know, somewhat like Ultimate Fighter, it's pretty quiet when Ultimate Fighter is going on. So I like that aspect of it. The NBA... Man, I, we talked about this before. I, I don't know. It's a little corny, but I get it. Uh, football should be interesting. I think that would be a big one that that would be uh, very impact, like really impacted from the, the loss of fans. Yeah, this in if we had a preseason, I would uh-huh. be in. I want to say we were due to play Pittsburgh week one, so I was going to be in Pittsburgh this week. I would have probably been on a. I would have been on a flight probably on Wednesday. You know how the towels are in Pittsburgh and the fans are crazy. So, uh, man, the atmosphere would be so much different without fans. Yeah, we were uh, – I want to say our road games for the preseason were Pittsburgh and Cleveland, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, two passionate, two passionate teams. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens. I mean, obviously with all the, the work with college football, what's going to happen there – and uh, I'm on. I'm on. Need no basis, Pete. <laughs> That's the way I look at things. Need no yeah. basis. Let me know what I need to know. And uh, you know, as far as I know, I'm prepping to be in New Orleans September uh, September 12th. You know, and, and play on September the 13th. Yeah, fingers crossed for you. I'm hoping. I'm hoping it happens. Yeah, but uh, you know, of course, it's a big fight week uh, for the UFC. UFC 252 coming up on uh, on Saturday night. One of the things that we like to do with this show is for you to to give a, a fighter's angle on thing, and particularly yep. with the technique side of thing. And Miocic and Cormier, third time now that these guys are going to compete. One of the things that I'm paying attention to, and of course, I know we're going to talk about this on Thursday when we're over at Osmo.com for the strategy show, is that Friday morning weigh-in of what is Daniel Cormier going to weigh in at, because I think that's going to be a big factor in kind of my evaluation of the fight. Now, mm-hmm. I know Cormier said on his show today on, on ESPN's YouTube channel that he's playing away between 240 and 242. I, I like that if you want to be a Cormier backer in this one. I, I To me, if he was going to be 250 or above, I kind of had some questions there. Uh, but, you know, let, let's start off with the Daniel Cormier side of this fight. A, I think the 25-foot cage helps him out. B, yeah. you know, I, I think it's A, how do you how does he work the takedowns? We know Miocic has that wrestling background as well. And I think the other side of it is how does he protect his body from the body shots that ultimately was his demise the last time they fought? Yeah, so with DC in this matchup, it's a very interesting matchup, you know, for the greatest heavyweight of all time, essentially. And uh, I'm very, very excited And after listening to an interview with DC and Ben Askren, I'm even more excited because it sounds like DC is going to really implement his wrestling in this fight and get back to what brought him to the big show of mixing in his strikes to wrestling and to basically keeping his opponents defensive and having to defend strikes or defend takedowns and just wear on them. Um, If he takes Stipe down, just make him carry his weight back to his feet. Now, if you... Tell me for a fact that DC is going to go in there and 
implement his wrestling against Stipe, I'm backing DC even heavier than I was anticipating. Um, the reason in the, the second fight you saw Stipe resort to body shots is because of the way DC holds his, his guard. He holds his hands really high um, and likes to you know bob and weave and slip his head off center, but he tries to block a lot with his forearms and his elbows, which leaves his big body susceptible to body shots. So it was a great read from Stipe Miocic. Now, Stipe is so talented everywhere, but if DC can mix things up and keep him guessing, I really like him in this matchup. You know, uh, there's there's a couple of things about this fight. To me, I think one of the keys for Stipe is, mm-hmm. the, is making sure his feet do not get behind the black line. Yeah. Because then at that point, you're one, two steps away from Cormier being able to put this fight up against the fence. You know, when you, when you look at Daniel Cormier's takedowns, they're takedowns you don't typically see in the center of the cage. It's where he gets it either on the fence or close to the fence where he clinches up, you know, and, and uses a single leg takedown or, you know, you, you don't, he's not your classic double leg takedown guy. Right. Yeah. And, um, I like to say that DC is kind of like the king of the clinch, and that was shown in the first fight of how we finished Stipe Miocic, and I think that the smaller cage is really going to force the action for these guys. Um, you talk about big heavyweights not going to have a ton of room to move and maneuver, where Stipe, Stipe would be looking to stay on the outside and use his long straight punches and good boxing combinations to keep DC away from him. Now, DC's good standing up as well. I mean, we saw him really shine standing up against John Jones at times, you know, throwing great combinations and good head movement. So the skills are there. You're talking about a smaller cage, talking about an Olympic wrestler. I really feel like this favors DC and uh, I'm excited because they could basically be against the cage for a large majority of the fight, you know, just weighing on each other and impressing each other against the cage, a lot of dirty boxing. But I think that's where DC can shine. In terms of for Miocic, what yep. has he got to do to make this more of a range fight as opposed to DC being able to cut cut into the range and make this, I, I, I don't want to say a dirty fight, mm-hmm. but, I, but I think I know, you know what I mean when I'm saying a dirty fight, you know, a fight in the phone booth. Yeah, I think that Stipe needs to get the respect early. Um mm-hmm. You know, maybe DC's had a great camp, and when, whenever you have a great camp, sometimes that confidence just comes right into the cage with you. And if your opponent doesn't check you early enough, that you know that momentum builds, and then you can be looking at DC really just walking him down. But if Stipe goes out there and you know early into the fight cracks him with a big shot and letting you know kind of giving him that reminder of what happened last time, you know then your brain starts playing tricks on you, but you know, Stipe could make things interesting, too. Like, let's talk about Stipe has a great wrestling background as well. Not on DC's caliber at all. But, you know, you think of how John Jones was taking down DC and really fatiguing him in their matchup. If you're Stipe, you already know that, um, you know, DC's probably going to utilize his wrestling. So maybe we counter-wrestle. Maybe we, you know, start to, to defend some takedowns and then you know, offensively work for takedowns as well, just to fatigue him and then try to bring him in the later rounds where you could pick him apart standing up similar to how the second fight happened. A lot easier said than done in the smaller cage when they're going to be clinching a lot. But man, it's an interesting fight. And that's why you're talking about, you know, 
the title on the line for the, the, the greatest heavyweight of all time. Now, this obviously the, the big thing is that this is going to be Daniel Cormier's last fight. I want to play yeah. a little buy-sell with you. Okay. Buy or selling, this is Daniel Cormier's last fight. I'm buying it. I am. I am buying it. Okay. I will buy it if he loses. If he wins and the UFC comes with a big check, For him, who? John Jones at heavyweight, I think nah. that I think that fight happens. No, I don't think so. You know why? Because as much as he wants to beat John Jones, he doesn't want to go and lose again. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't think I don't think he wants to tarnish his legacy like that. Go out on top. He's talked about going out on top. And if he wins, I think uh I think he's just gonna ride off into the sunset. I really do. Let's say the UFC comes with a ten million dollar guaranteed payday. You think he walks off? Nah, it depends on what he's making right now. Uh some some guys really will favor the zeros attached to the to the dollar sign. Then some guys will really favor you know legacy and what they built and how they you know left the sport. And I think somebody that kind of values legacy more than anything is like GSP. If you think about GSP, he's very very meticulous and very smart about everything he's done and. Uh, He's never really put himself in a bad position, whether reputation-wise, fight-wise, stylistically-wise. Um, I can see DC following in the same footsteps as that and, and riding on on top. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of these things of like, and we've seen it in combat sports so many times where, you know, a fighter, you, you, you know, like I always say, I never believe when a fighter says they're retired. That's why when mm-hmm. the day you tell me you're retired, I'm just going to go, <laughs> BS, BS, yeah. no. No, because there's always because as an athlete, I mean, a you want to go on your own terms. But yeah. I, I remember talking to a, a football player, and we, we were sitting down, we were just kind of talking about things. And I said, "I go, when are you going?" Because we, we were watching on television, and someone's about you know someone retiring. I said, "I was like, how are you going to know when it's your time?" And he goes, "My body will tell me. My body will exactly tell me when it's time to go." But in, in combat sports, we just see it's kind of. I think that I think part of it's a financial component that's out there, um, but I mean, obviously, there is something about going out on your own terms. You know, you don't. You know, it's like Shell Son always said that he felt it, and ultimately it ended up happening his way of you're going to go go out with you know looking up at the lights. You know, yeah, you would love to go out potentially like a George St. Pierre winning the UFC middleweight title. Um, you know, and, and to me, you know. Five years from now, if Daniel Cormier wins on Saturday night, is he greatest heavyweight of all time? Maybe, may still be. But I think the one thing we gotta say is Daniel Cormier is one of the best MMA fighters. Let's not let's not label it to a weight class. He's one of the yeah. best MMA fighters of all time. One of the best pound for pound fighters of all time, of course. And uh, I think he's amongst the elite. Will be a UFC Hall of Famer, one hundred percent. And you know what he's done from Strike Force to the U- the UFC is incredible. Um, and he's fought literally the who's who for the light heavyweight and the heavyweight division. It's pretty crazy. Um, you know, I, I think that based on DC's age, DC's pretty old. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. He is not pretty old. Come on. Well, well, he's getting there for elite athlete. Well, so. He's not that much older than me. So, whoa, calm, calm. You need to calm down. <laughs> well, I'm saying athletic years, <laughs> athletic years. Uh, he's been grinding for quite some time. I think that, I think it's time, man. And 
your body's one indicator of letting you know when it's time to hang them up, but another is your desire. Like if you really don't have that desire and your motivation and what got you into the sport, then, uh, you know, you, you should be looking at other things. And the problem is, and the reason why guys don't like letting go is usually towards the end of their careers when things start to finally, you know, work out or they finally start getting the money that they yeah. probably deserve their whole career. Cause honestly, of every professional fighter out there, about half of your half of your fighting career is a waste as far as financial wise. Um, you you under you know underpaid, underappreciated. So you're finally starting to bring in those bucks that you've been longing for, and then you're fighting the top guys. So it's not like you can always excel and always pass the tests. One thing I like about this card, and I got to give UFC a lot of props here. I think it would have been very easy for them to make JDS versus Rosenstruck yeah. as the co-main event, but they obviously have seen Sean O'Malley's a star. Whether yeah. people like him or not, this guy is a star. And and you and I think it really it all starts off with on the Contender Series with Snoop Dogg calling his fight and, yeah. and yelling out O'Malley, O'Malley, O'Malley. And he has just taken so advantage of marking himself, whether it's in video form, it's in podcast form. He He's done a great job of marketing himself. And I, I think that what I wanted to talk to you about was the techniques that he uses inside, inside the octagon and what makes him such a threat in this band and weight division. Yeah. So the variety of attacks is always what will separate the elite from the average within a division. And, uh, you know, a guy in Marlon Vera, super tough, durable, um, but not extremely crafty. Like he has a pretty basic style where if you look at somebody like a Sean O'Malley, completely unorthodox can throw all sorts of punches and spinning techniques can throw a wide variety of kicks either leg, and that is awesome because you you don't know which which strike is coming from which direction. Um, he can mix things up. He faints better than almost any fighter I've seen out there. He faints and fakes better than anybody, and when you faint and fake, you get a reaction from your opponent, and you start to see little tells in their, def their, their defensive flaws. So when Sean O'Malley faints and fakes, and he sees his opponent really drop that right hand to parry, he's going to throw that left hook. And, uh, you know, you just see how he had Eddie Wineland basically reach for the parry of that uppercut, and he just did a short little uppercut to get that read and then followed up with a straight right-hand cross. And it was beautiful. It was picture perfect. You're talking about a guy that's levels above striking-wise, has a lot of answers. I mean, has a lot to prove on the ground. We don't know if he has the answers on the ground yet. Um, maybe a guy like Marlon Barra can take him down and try to expose him there. But I know he has he has been training extensively since the injury to Andre Sukumtat. Um, he's been grappling like crazy. I think this guy is going to be in the elite, and he's going to have a rise similar to Max Holloway. I was thinking about who could give some of the toughest challenges to yeah. O'Malley, particularly on the feet. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I think it, it would be easy to mention someone like Aljo. How about Co uh, Corey Sanhagen? Yeah. So that'd be a great fight, man. Oh my God. That would be incredible. Corey Sanhagen is super, super tough. I don't know how I would, I don't know. Cause 
O'Malley hasn't been tested by the elite yet, so it's hard to like it's hard to see where he's at and where he stacks up. I mean, he just fought an Eddie Wineland who's well past his prime, but it's still Eddie Wineland who has had some success in the UFC even recently. So I think stylistically wise, as long as you can answer and not get flustered defensively, you will be okay. Like a Corey Sanhagen seems like a cool, calm, collected type of fighter where he's not going to get overwhelmed and panic. And if you watch a lot of Sean O'Malley's fights, you'll see his opponents get overwhelmed by what he's doing. So I would say Sanhagen's a great matchup. That's a great that's a great pick there, uh, Jason. That would be very, very interesting. I feel like a win on Saturday night by Sean O'Malley is going to give him a top five type fight. I, th- I think the UFC is going to want to put him in that type of fight. I think if he wins, if he's either headlining a fight night card or once again, he, he may, he'll be in a co-main event, a pay-per-view. Of course, the UFC may look at Sean O'Malley and say, this guy's a pay-per-view fighter from now on. We're not going to put him on, on free television. Uh, crazy thing I just pulled up um, on the Fight Metric website. You realize that Sean O'Malley is only two years old, uh, younger than Cheeto Vera? You would not think that, and you just blew my mind with that. Um so, Sean O'Malley, it's crazy that he's in the 135 division. It really is because he has the frame of a 45er, and he really looks like Max Holloway. Um, man, Marlon Bear is really not that old. I'm looking at – I just pulled up the rankings, Jason, and Bantamweight is tough. But they have Sean O'Malley at 14. Song Yadong's ahead of him. That's an interesting fight. John Dodson, Dominic Cruz, Rob Font, Cody Stamen, Rafael Sunsau, Jimmy Rivera. I think he beats all I think he beats all of those guys besides Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen's interesting. Then the top 5, you're talking about Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz, Corey Sanhagen. Man, that's that's a tough division. If you wanted to test Sean O'Malley, how about Marab Davisvili? No, you don't do that. Mm-mm. You don't do that. You know, you know, you know why you don't do that because you know his wrestling's not up to par to even match up against Marab. That's a that's a potential you know championship fight down the road. Yeah, I, you don't do that. But you know it's going to get to the point where it, it, it's like think about the rise of Conor McGregor. Everyone, you know, as as Conor was rising to the 145 pound title, it was always, oh, he, it's always stylistically a great matchup for him. What happened if he faced a wrestler? Of course, he faced wrestling Chad Minnis, and look, that was not a great opening round for him. He, you know, no. and, but you know, ultimately, still, you know, came back and, and won but, that fight. But if he fought a Chad Mendez on a full camp. I think you could be talking about a different story. Uh, Chad Mendes took that fight on, what, a week or two notice? Oh, um, sure. But then also, but, it, it was a total stylistic changeup for Connor as well. Yeah, but you know what? It was a perfect opportunity to give Connor what he was wanting, what the fans were curious about as far as his wrestling question, whether he could handle it or not. And it's literally the perfect time to do it because you know. Chad Mendes hadn't been training. No. So if you're building a star in Conor McGregor, it's like, this is perfect. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's technically fought a wrestler, but it was on two weeks' notice. Yeah, but I mean, when I look at the rest of this fight card, um, Rosenstuck versus JDS. God, I really do not like that fight for JDS uh, at this point in his career. Mm, Davish Fieldy, we'll see if he can take Dotson to take down City. You got to imagine that's a, a pretty good uh, potential. Uh, Nikolayev and, and Kutalayev. That's uh, when we, well, I'm sure when we talk on Thursday, we're going to be talking about that fight in terms of uh, the big GPP tournaments. Um, Miller Vachel's an interesting matchup. Uh, you get the return of Felice Herrig, uh, Herbert Burns taking on the returning Daniel Pineda. Um, is there Pineda a, has a ton of fights, bro? You mm-hmm. ever realize how many fights Pineda has? Oh, yeah, he's got a ton of them, yeah. I mean, um, you got you know two uh, heavyweights making their debut. I was kind of surprised by this matchup. Chris Dawkins versus Parker Porter. Um, Parker from CES. Yeah, uh, Ashley Yoder actually uh, spoke to her. I, one of the most interesting things, when I, so I talked to her about two weeks ago, and I thought what she had talked about just mentally, she's just in a better um, place. She really didn't mm-hmm. go into the details of exactly why that is. Um, yeah. but I kind of took it. There was probably something going on in her personal life that, you know, just weighed on her, whatever that may be. I have no idea who it is, but yeah. that was like my biggest takeaway is just her just saying like, I'm mentally in a better place heading into this one. Well, that's, that's huge, man. And let me tell you that it's everybody in life. You, me, everybody is dealing with something that the rest of the world doesn't know. And we all have our own demons and we all have our own problems and it's tough for athletes, especially when it's a one-on-one sport, to deal with stuff like that um, and go out and perform. But you'll see, like, in the coming months, how does Khabib Nurmagomedov respond to losing his father? I I don't know. I sure would not want to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov after he just lost his father. Like that, some athletes can really use pain as motivation. I am one of them. I, I can really do that a lot. Um, whether it's a troubled past or stuff you're dealing with, um, you know, not just wanting to be the best is the motivation for everybody. Sometimes it's like, you know, just coping, coping with problems. And their only way of coping is through exercise at martial arts. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm looking to this fight car come up on, uh, on Saturday night, but of course, uh, last week's UFC car, I want to talk to you about, uh, two things that happened there. First off, the main event, Alexio Linick and Derek Lewis. Uh, it looks like Alexio Linick. Look, look, look. Tell it yourself. Tell it yourself. <laughs> bring it, bring it. Look, hey, if you can, if you can dish it out, you got to be able to take it, man. Yeah, I now look, you. now look. Who did I pick to win? How much you know who I picked to win the fight? Yeah, yeah, but you had like no faith. You had no faith in Derek Lewis as far as far oh. as DF. Okay, all right, hold on. When he's in that submission, how you feeling? <laughs> I was, I tell you, when when we were talking, we were like, man, I feel like if Derek Lewis is put in a choke, he's going to tap quick. You have a big guy on top of him. You have Derek Lewis, who is not known for his cardio. Um, how is he going to respond to somebody really wrenching on his neck? And he actually lasted pretty pretty good in that spot. And you know, that Keisa Katami judo position that I've actually been in before when I fought Mary Zanashi on, on Bellator. It's a very uncomfortable position because you have your opponent laying across your chest and then arching up, pinning you. So you're essentially cutting off your own oxygen with their weight on your chest. And it's more of a, 
you have to be able to relax, get somewhat on your side, and try to come out the back door. Um, you can either come out the back door like you saw Derek Lewis do, or you can body lock and attempt to roll over. Um, but man, it's it's a it's a submission that is not so much of you going unconscious. It's about just how much can you take. It, you know, can you basically withstand the uncomfortable position? He mentioned after the fight on the post fight show, meaning Derek Lewis, that he said, he yeah. goes, like, I was close. I was yeah. close to – because, like, I feel like when that submission is going on, you're like, okay, I need to turn the phone off because Jason's about to start texting me, and I do not want to hear from him. I, well, before it happened, I'm literally – I look at Bree. I said, why is he grappling? And she looks at me. She goes, sounds like something Jason would say to you. And I'm like, I'm like okay. That's not what I want to hear from you. But why was Derek Lewis going out there and, and grappling Alexi Olenek? Um, but her and I were laughing about it. I'm like, you know what? You're actually right on that. And then you still give me a hard time for that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> for, for those who are not aware of the story, uh, you know, this was February last year, the night before Peace fighting. We're at the Mohegan Sun, and Peace telling me the game plan, what he's planning, da da da. And then I'm sitting there on press row and he like, and I go, did he just totally forget what he, he the game plan was? He's going for takedowns now. Mm, stop it. Uh, yeah. Well, sometimes it worked out for you. I, okay. I wouldn't say that I necessarily went for a takedown. I was through a combination. My opponent came into me and clinched with me. I pressed him against the cage. He tried to take me down a reverse position. And I just so happened to have a really advantageous position of underhooks. So then I just kind of used him and uh, got the takedown easy. Derek Lewis literally looked out like he went out there and shot a double leg on Alexi Olenek. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it, but he, he ultimately gets the victory in the second round, just massive ground and pound on, on the ground. Like, look, when that fight got out of the first round, I'm like, this is Derek Lewis's fight. I mean, that was that was kind of my mindset. And we talked about it on Osmo. I said, look, if Alexi Olenek is going to win this fight, it's going to be in the first round, maybe early part of the second round. But you, you could just see it. And then um, I wanted to get your take on this of round ends, Olenek, you know, going so hard for that choke. And then he comes back to his corner. He lays on his back and then puts his feet up on the fence like as from a fighter's aspect you what do you think is going through Derek Lewis mind as he sees that so i actually listened to Derek Lewis's comment in the post fight presser and it's kind of what i was thinking he would say of man my opponent shot right now he's exhausted he just exerted so much energy right now that he's literally laying on the ground trying to get all that blood back to his head and trying to just get as much oxygen and uh, relax as much as possible. Now, it's not the best body language that Alexi Olenek was demonstrating, but of course, scientifically, it is proven that that is a good position to lay in to get some oxygen back in your system and to kind of recover. Um, you see different fighters respond to recovery different. You see George St. Pierre use a lot of that stomach breathing, which is very interesting. And uh, I think you're seeing more fighters use that, which is very, very beneficial. But that's the first time I've really seen somebody do that. Uh, you know, in all Alexi Olenek's fights, he, he does that if it goes out of the, the first round. But I think he's the only person I've ever seen do that. By the way, I don't want you to get used to me saying this, Pete. Yeah. You were right. I was wrong when I put the over-under number of 85 DraftKings points. Told you. Told you. Yeah. I Look, it, I knew that... 
if Derek Lewis wins, he needs to like really get Alexi Olenek out of there because you saw if you go if you go like you know tit for tat with Alexi Olenek like Fabricio Verdum did and not really go explosive, you could lose a decision and uh, you know it wasn't going five rounds, but you could get behind on the scorecards. So Derek Lewis needed to go out there like an animal, and he did. He he looked good with that great great ground and pound. Most knockouts in heavyweight history. That's crazy. By the way, uh, got to mention about a guy we both know. How about the chin on Peter Barrett just to yeah. eat that that back kick to the face? Oh man, spinning back kick to the jaw. Whew. I felt for him, and I was like, oh. But let me say that Peter Barrett is extremely tough and fought through some horrible positions. It, it was almost like a practice session because outside of getting kicked in the face like that. You put yourself in these positions, these bad positions all the time, okay, of rounds of, uh, you know, a, a fresh guy every five minutes taking your back, and you have to work on just your defense. And I think that's why you saw Peter Barrett survive. Um, you would have liked to see Yusef Zalal start resorting to more ground and pound than trying to get so many rear naked chokes after the 10th failed attempt. Uh, sometimes, especially when you have your guy flattened out, I made this mistake in my fight as well. Searching for a rear naked choke with short time. When you have them flattened out, just pound away. Actually, uh, speaking of Yusuf Zalal tomorrow, so it'll be interesting to kind of get his take nice. on it. There's, By the way, there's a great picture of him. Um, I want to say it's on the UFC Instagram. If not, I know yes. it's on Factory X's Instagram of, of him going for a rear naked, and he is just smiling up at the camera. Just I a tr- tremendous photo. That's one of those photos, like, if I'm Yusuf Zalal, I'm going to the UFC going, hey, man, can I like, get a big print up of that? I want to put that up in my house. Yeah, I, I love Yusuf Salah. I like him a lot. I like his style. Um, I think you need to – he needs to add some pop to his style because you notice like Peter Barrett was starting to walk through shots standing up just to get to him. And, you know, maybe he doesn't land that spin and back kick on everybody or takedowns on everybody and you're facing a tough opponent. So maybe he's just starting to sit down on your punches a little bit. Remember, he's only 23 years old, too. So, yeah, and it, the, the initial plan was for him to go down to 35, but basically that's not going to happen. He's going to stay at 45, it, it, essentially saying, why am I going to deplete my body to fight at 35 as, you know, they're going to work on a, a strength and conditioning program for him. He is planning to stay at 145 pounds. And, you know, look, 2020 has not been a great year for a lot of people, but Yusuf Zalal is one of these guys that's been able to take advantage of uh, of the situation. I was, uh, you know, I was talking to Jordan Levitt earlier today, and this is a guy who's had an amazing 2020. You know, you just look at the last month and a half of what his, he's been able to do and, and to get the win. Also about the UFC car, I want to mention about Chris Weidman. Does go yeah. out there and get the win. And look, he he did what he needed to do to get the win, no question about it. dominating third round. I think definitely a 10-8 third round. Uh, I did score it 29-27 for Chris Weidman. But I, I just I looked at it and I said, I'm not ready to say Chris Weidman's back by any stretch of the imagination no. because and before we started doing the show, we were going down the top 10 at middleweight, and there's not a <laughs> lot of fights. You sit there and go, okay, I would pick Chris Weidman that. But on fight night, I was kind of thinking – they're going to feed him to an up-and-coming contender. I thought Derek Brunson. I thought Ian Heinish. But with Luke Rockhold saying he's coming back to fight, that to me is the fight for the UFC to make. And if I'm in the Chris Weidman camp, that's the fight I take. I don't know, man. I don't know. Let me say 
Chris Weidman got back to his winning ways, and it was really hurting me to see him almost just like struggle in that fight. And I'm like, man, what happened to this guy? Like, you notice how different he is now after taking so many shots and getting knocked out so much, but he's not making the adjustments he needs to in his fighting game. Like, he made the adjustment of getting back to his wrestling. Okay, I'll give him that. That was awesome. And he did talk about how it was somewhat of a sloppy fight. But what about defensively? His hands are down, his chin straight up in the air. He's not parrying. He's not blocking. He's not moving his head. He's a stationary target. Like, what are you working on in your camp? Like, I need you to focus on your defense. Like, the skills of offensively are there. The reason you're getting knocked out is not because of your offense outside of that spinning hook kick that was virtually the end of for, you know, in that Luke Rockhold fight. But you need to work on your defense. You work on your defense, you're going to be you're going to be good again. I let's get the hands up and uh you know, I I wonder. I I think he's moving to South Carolina, which is very interesting. And I was thinking about this and I was talking to my girlfriend. I was saying the reason he's probably so exhausted in this fight is because he doesn't face that much um that much adversity going against Stephen Thompson in the grappling department, whereas his opponent was really going and stacking up with him and giving him a tough time with the grappling exchanges, defending takedowns, getting back to his feet, even taking him down. You know Stephen Thompson's not taking him down. I, I think that Weidman needs to surround himself with some elite grapplers again, like heavy, heavy wrestlers, and still work with Stephen Thompson. But you need to get back to your winning ways. And, uh, you know, it wasn't good because I feel like any other opponent in that top 15 could finish Chris Weidman with a big shot. Yeah. Um, you know, be interesting to kind of see how he develops move, moving down to, to South yep. Carolina. And, um, you know, and obviously being, being with, you know, with the team there at, at Upstate Karate, of course, that's the gym of, of Steven and, and, and his dad, uh, Ray Thompson. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how, how that does uh, take place there. But, of course, Bellator also had a show last week. And uh, first off, I, I got to get your perspective from a martial artist. Okay. Uh, AJ with the headbutt during the fight, kicks at the end of the round. And then just his actions after the fight, after after losing to Chris Lincioni. Like, as you see that as someone whose martial arts is your life, you've been doing this all your life. When you see that, what goes through your mind? It drives me crazy. And it drives me crazy because he could be ruining the image of so many positive role models and so many uh, opinions of people about the sport of thinking, you know, that, you know, it's human cockfighting and brawlers and, you know, a bunch of punks. And he was a punk in that situation. And I don't, you know, I don't support anything that he did in those situations. The headbutt was egregious and should have been taking a point away. But it, it was tough to see if, you know, the his opponent on the bottom bucked or did anything to, to cause that. And he did not. After looking at the replay, it was intentional. Um, just how do you carry yourself? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, that was that was just so unprofessional. You're a professional, okay? You're not. You you shouldn't be acting like that. Well, I mean, I, I think one of the things is, and I totally agree with everything you said there. I think Mike Beltron, after a fight was over, I think should be thankful that nothing, 
no brawl altercation. Yeah. Kind of, I, I just think that effect of, and I know uh, Mike likes to see the competitors shake hands w- when the fight is over, and mm-hmm. he was trying to force that. That could that situation could have escalated much more than it did. I will yeah. tell you, I was, you know, very. I would say I was shocked to see that uh, the Mohegan tried to part with athletic regulations did not lay down an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty against AJ. I, I would, when I saw all that, that was my first thought as I go, Oh, Missouri is going to, he, here comes the unsportsmanlike. I, and, and it, you know, it did not. And of course I know Mike talked to MMA junkie and, and I reached out to him on Saturday as well. Uh, so I was kind of surprised with that. Uh, two other notes from this card, Valerie she gets a win. She's now three and Oh, you know, the mm-hmm. thing about Valerie is when, if I go to, if I went to a bar on Saturday for UFC 252 and, and I say, I find 10 people who know who Valerie is, I don't think I would be surprised if three out of the 10 can describe her fighting style. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. And um, she's young in her career, Jason. Uh, coming from a great Taekwondo background, but she didn't show any kicks in this previous fight, and her corner was actually encouraging her to kick, but maybe she wanted to show the improvements in her boxing, and her hands did look pretty good. Uh, lots of movement, but how long can she get away with that strategy? Uh, I think it, it would be smart for Bellator to keep her on a slow pace and slowly build her because you know she's a pretty girl, and that's She's very marketable, especially if she develops the skills. She's a part of the best camp in the world, one of the best camps in the world. So it's not like you don't know what can come from that gym. You know what they're capable of. She has high-level training partners. Um, she needs to make advancements in her in her ground game as well, I'm sure. So uh, I think a slow build and kind of take it from there would be the the right you know path for Valerie, Valerie Laredo. When I was watching that fight, I, and look, I think you're going to see a two to three year slow build with her. I don't think you're going to see her take on grapplers. I think they're going to primarily match her up against, you know, and, and when I'm in uh, they, I'm talking about not just Bellator, her coaches and her management okay. and making sure you're putting her in the right style matches. But as I was watching that fight on Friday, my thought was, what if she was facing someone who knew how to cut her off? You know, that was the one thing that her opponent, Tara Graff, just didn't do a good job at all. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was chasing. You were following your opponent the whole time. Um, I think that uh, she, the girl has skills, but uh, she needs to make sure that her head doesn't get too big and that she just understands that she's relatively green in this sport. And, uh, you know, just keep taking fights, staying active, but uh, make sure – I don't know how active they're going to keep her, though, Jason uh, – Especially if she's kind of on like a developmental deal, if you want to really look at it like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing with her is, I mean, look, she's done an incredible job marking herself. But I think part of that has got to be is you, you want people to, under, you know, think of your fighting abilities, not just what you post on social media. Yeah. She's, she's done an incredible job. And, you know, she was asked about it, you know, last week during the virtual media day. And, and she gave her, her explanation of, of what she posts, how she does it for herself. It's, it's, and I hope there's people around her that if that's how she truly feels, that they sit there and say, while this is how you feel, 
this is the perception people have when they view yeah. your social media. So I hope there's someone around her that, that understand and, and said that to her. But one thing I do agree with what she said is that, you know, there are, um, you know, people who are jealous of her because she has been able to market herself. And, and mm-hmm. it's exactly true. You know, she is, you know, she has done a great job of marketing herself, but I think there, there just has to come a point that it's gotta be about, her fighting abilities and that people think of it and it'll be interesting to see how they, they match her up going forward. But I, you know, like when someone in, in the virtual media day brings up her taking on Liam McFarlane, I'm like, Whoa, 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 pump the brakes. That's like three, four years down the road. Yeah. And I think you can draw some similarities between her and Paige Van Zandt early on in her UFC career. Um, you know, you talk about the organization recognizing what they have a very good-looking girl who does have skill and needs to develop. And uh, you saw when Paige really started to climb the ladder too soon, how she was exposed by some of the top fighters, and not even really the top fighters, but let's say top 15. Um, You know, there's a big – it's a big jump. So you need to make sure that Valerie Loretta is not going to jump too soon. If the rumors are true that Paige Van Zandt is signing with Bare Knuckle, I got to start questioning people around Paige Van Zandt. Yeah, what are you doing, guys? What are you doing? I hope that's not true. Let's. That's so stupid. Yeah, I don't. I, that that's something that I just found really uh, odd with that. Also, Michael Chandler gets the win. My gut feeling is, I think his next fight's in the UFC. I I gotta say, Michael Chandler is one of my favorite fighters on the planet. I really love his game. I love his style. I love how well-rounded he is, excellent hands, um, great wrestling to rely on if he needs to. The guy is so talented. He really is. I think that he stacks up really well in the UFC, and uh, I would love to see a guy uh, see a guy from Bellator come over and really have a lot of success. You think of like a lineman good, not really having the best success, um, I would have. I would love to see Lima come over to the UFC eventually and see how he stacks up against some of the best guys in the world. And I think that he would absolutely excel. Here is my UFC matchmaking if Michael Chandler signs with them. His first fight, Michael Chandler versus Paul Felder. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Man, you're talking about not giving Paul an easy fight. Oh, goodness. That's my buddy, Paul. But... uh that's a tough fight. That is a tough fight for both guys. Yeah, I just I look at it and I don't I don't I don't think Bellator is going to overpay for Michael Chandler's services. I'm pretty you know this is a, I have no inside information on this. Let me just make that clear. I am sure Bellator has told Chandler and his representation this is our number. This is what we're willing to pay you. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, if you're Michael Chandler. You have to see what your value is. You have mm-hmm. to see what is the UFC willing to pay you? What is one championship willing to pay you? What is the PFL willing to pay you? To me, I, I think it's – look, obviously going to one championship, there may be a big money train sitting there for a potential trilogy matchup with Eddie Alvarez. Okay, there's that. Um, but to me, I think ultimately it's UFC versus Bellator. And at 34 years old, this may be his last opportunity to get to the UFC to prove you are one of the best, if not the best lightweight in the world. And I just, I feel like Michaels wants that. I think he wants to prove he's the best lightweight in the world. You look yep. at that post-fight interview with, with John McCarthy. To me, that was a goodbye Bellator 
comment from him that he pretty much has felt that his days in Bellator are over. And, and I can't blame a guy. And this is no knock on Bellator. But the fact is that he cannot fight in Bellator and be the best lightweight in the world. You have to go to the UFC to prove that. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think that it's deserved. I think the UFC would be interested in Michael Chandler. Um, I don't know if they would be throwing as much money as he thinks, though, because uh, the UFC, in a way, doesn't value Bellator fighters like the rest of the world does. And uh, when they cross over, they kind of they 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 like to value them, but they don't overpay them. So uh, you have to think about how Eddie Alvarez came over. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think Michael Chandler coming over would be huge. And the vice versa of that is now Corey Anderson being in Bellator. Yeah. Asking for his release, the UFC grants it, which that to me says a lot. Corey Anderson does not have a, a fighting style that, uh, you know, I would say a good amount of fight fans want to see. I mean, he can use that wrestling, you know, he, and, and to me that's telling. But I think it's a good signing for Bellator. It gives mm -hmm. them a guy who is, you know, what top five. You know, contender at light heavyweight. He's only 30 years old. So it's not like this is someone who's 35, 36. This is still someone very much in his prime of his career. So I think that from that aspect, but also to me, it's when you, uh, you basically tell the fighter, see you later gone. We don't care. your top five. We don't care. You're, you're still in the prime of your career. That to me is very telling about what the UFC thought of Corey Anderson. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, man, I like Corey Anderson, but after seeing what he was talking about, some of the, the damage from his previous fights, you have to be a little concerned for his health as well. But uh, I think he can go over to Bellator and, and immediately contend for the belt and uh, make things very interesting over there based on his well-rounded game of great boxing and good wrestling. And the UFC and, and Corey Anderson really seemed to, to never really get along the best, and he didn't really get no. the best matchups. And he felt very disrespected, especially in the Johnny Walker fight. Felt like the UFC wants me to lose. They want to build this guy. And they're bringing me in to just lose. So um, when he upset their plans and he called out a bunch of fights and never really got the title fight or got any of the fights that he wanted, I think that's where it's kind of a mutual agreement. Like, yeah, let's both pass. I got a matchup for Johnny Walker that I think would be really fun. Um. Man, I have one too. I can't think I of it. I spoke to this fighter today. I didn't bring it up. Oh. Dustin Jacoby. Ooh, that's an interesting fight. That's a very interesting fight. You're talking about a very technical striker against a wild man who throws crazy, crazy techniques. Um, man, to good me, fight. Good like matchmaking. Oh. Like Dustin Jacoby to me, like don't I don't want to see him against a wrestler. No, no. I, no. I want to see him against someone who's going to throw. Yeah, I think it's a great thing. Showcase his skills, man. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of Contender Series, episode two of this season is uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Uh, the matchup that really I am most interested in is TJ Laramie versus Daniel Swain. Uh, yep. I talked to Daniel Swain. This is a guy who's fought all over the world. Uh, big opportunity. TJ Laramie, when, when you talk about best prospects outside of the UFC and Bellator, TJ Laramie was at the top of that list. That to me is a fight that really intrigues me. I also spoke to Adrian Yanez, who's taking on um, Brady. Well, Brady is eleven and one, but uh, 
one of the things I brought up in my conversation with Adrian was I go, hey, what, what's your think? What's your thoughts about Brady's strength of schedule? And uh, he paused for a second, and then he just suddenly goes, yeah, it's not very good. So Brady has one loss on his record. That is to Martin Day. So at that point, he was eight and ahead in that fight. So his next fight was against a guy who was zero and one. Next fight. 10 and 11 and his last fight a uh, guy uh, 15 7 and 1 that's kind of it's one of those things that I kind of wonder how do you go from fight being 8 and 0 to now you're 8 and 1 and now you're fighting a guy who's 0 and 1 like to me like that's where I go please tell me that was a late like your initial opponent pulled out like on weigh in day and they just found you an opponent to get you a fight yeah uh, that's the only way you could really justify that and that happens a lot Jason a lot of you know, last minute replacements and uh, local fighters say Brady was the local fighter and he sold a ton of tickets and his opponent dropped out the week of the fight. The promotion wants to make sure that you still get a fight. And uh, it's very tough to have people accept on last minute notice when you're talking small money regionally. And, uh, you know, we'll see how he stacks up against Adrian Yanez, who has great, great striking suspect takedown defense but i think that adrian can really throw some hard shots and uh get brady out of there similar similar to how martin day did i'm thinking i there is three guys that i look at three fighters i look at that i believe are my top candidates to walk out of the ufc apex on tuesday night with a contract uh adrian's one of them laramie's the other and the third one i would put is impa who's taking on anthony adams uh, Impa, a great prospect at, at 185 pounds. Um, those are to me, those are the three fighters I think everyone needs to pay attention to. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'm, I think that TJ Laramie is going to go out there and get signed to the UFC. He's probably one of the most UFC ready fighters you'll see enter the contender series and probably didn't need to go on the contender series. So I think that it's a tough fight against Daniel Swain, but Laramie fought Charles Jordan and, uh, really just took him to deep water through great takedowns, good striking with his hands. I think he gets it done here. The other guy I think that you should be looking at is uh, Joseph uh, Pfeiffer going up against uh, Dustin uh, Stolzfus. I think that Joseph's interesting here at 185, has a lot of finishes, very, very aggressive, does have some good takedowns as well. Uh, They're always looking for new talent, and the guy knows how to finish fights. So I think that he could overpower the veteran in uh, Dustin Stolfus. I, I like it. It's a good fight. But to me, the number one fight is that TJ Laramie fight. I'm just saying, we need some DraftKings lines on these fights. Come on. Hey, I know. I, it's too bad, right? Because I feel like we would absolutely kill it. And if we were in Vegas, I know what people I would be betting on. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I haven't even looked at the betting lines. Let me pull up the betting lines, see what they're at here. So, ooh, Laramie. Laramie's got to be a minus 400. Uh, Laramie's minus 365. Yep. Uh, Impa's minus two fifteen. Joe is uh, probably minus one eighty. Uh, Joe is plus two hundred. Joe Pfeiffer's plus two hundred. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean he's a- fighting a guy who's twelve and one, and Dustin yeah. uh, Solfus. Adrian Yanez is minus three hundred, and Vanessa is minus one seventy. Very interesting. What did you say Impa's line was? Uh, minus two fifteen. Wow. Yeah, so do you know a lot about Impa? Um, He's been on the Contender Series before. Um, kind of, you know, it's very much of a of a developmental type fighter. Yeah, um, I'm looking just, at his record right now, Jason, and it's like 
he's fought a lot of like debuting guys or re- really new guys. Oh and oh, one and oh, oh and oh, one and one. Yeah, four and three, four and oh. So yeah, it's unfortunate because he was supposed to fight Daniel Madrid on uh, LFA. That would have been, I think, a really interesting test for him. Um, you know, he hasn't fought since Contender Series. Um, you know, when he beat Kalen Hill, I mean, he's a guy that the UFC is very much interested in. That's why I think that if he goes out there and has a solid performance tomorrow night, he will get signed by the UFC. Cool, cool. Yeah, I can't wait. And it's almost like I forget that the Contender Series is on Tuesday. Just of how how many shows are you and I are doing lately? I love it. And sports are back twenty four seven. You're talking about NBA playoffs. Um, you know, starting next week and the regular season ending this week. So some teams getting eliminated, and, uh, man, I can't wait. By the way, don't you think the Lakers are not wanting to see the Blazers in the first round of the playoffs? Nobody wants to see the Blazers. They are a matchup nightmare. Uh, You talk about Nurkic coming back. Nurkic, unbelievable, big man. He can really stretch the floor with his three-point range. He can crash the boards. You talk about Dame Lillard time. CJ McCollum, uh, you know, Carmelo Anthony, and they have a very, very deep bench, Zach Collins. I mean, I could keep going on. That team is disgusting, and uh, I can't wait for the playoffs. Um, I'm interested to see how baseball keeps going. Some some teams are really looking great, and I think uh, we haven't had any any, uh, coronavirus pop-ups lately other than last week's, what, Cardinals game? Yeah, the Cardinals, their series against the Pirates got postponed. Um, you know, so they're, it's crazy. So when I did the, uh, I want to say it was, I, I mentioned a stat um, live before Locke last Friday on Osimo. It mm-hmm. was talking about the Cardinals. I think at that on Friday, this was when their, their series with the, um, the Cubs was postponed, that they would have to play uh, 55 games in a 49-day stretch. <laughs> How does that happen? That's insane. Yeah. See, here, here's the thing you got to pay attention to for people who, who like to play DFS baseball is these double headers that are only seven inning games. You got to look at the pitchers, especially I with didn't. that complete game bonus. I didn't even realize that until yesterday. Um, my buddy, my buddy Aldo was like, you know, the double header is only seven innings. I'm like, hold up. All these new rules in baseball has really made well, things interesting, but it's more the coronavirus than anything. Exactly, because the thing has got to be is if if you've got a double header, you got to look at the pitching matchup in the first one, because you know the teams are not going to want to go through their bullpen in game one. They want to save their bullpen ideally for game two. Yeah, they're going to stretch that starter out for the first game. I love that that little insight. See, that's why we got you for everything, Jason. Best host in the business. And also, you got to kind of stay away from the hitters in those games because you're basically yeah, like what three at bats. Ex- yeah, maybe maybe if they have a great offensive game, the top of the order gets a fourth at bat. But yeah, like especially if you're the home team, you may only have six innings of bats. Man, how weird! What a weird dynamic. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, uh, it's uh. Yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm hosting on Osmo Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and then I do one show on Sunday. But Thursday, Thursday, two shows. Our show plus I've got the MLB show. Friday, I've got two MLB shows. Saturday, I got NASCAR and our show, and then Sunday, an MLB show. Love it, dude. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm learn. I'm learn. I'm learning about NASCAR. Yeah, you're my NASCAR guy now. <laughs> I'm, look, it's just me relaying what Phil tells me on the show. Yeah, Phil's really good too. 
If you guys haven't checked us out on Awesomeo, go to type in YouTube, go to Awesomeo, uh, or check us out on Awesomeo.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, tons of content. Jason and I are on there all the time and uh, love helping everybody out. Yeah, big week this week for us with the uh, UFC car. They've got the million uh, million dollar contest. I want to say yep. it's two hundred k to first place. Uh, little little tip for you: if you listen to the MMA Report podcast on Wednesday of this week on the MMAReport.com, I will tell you about how you can get a free entry into Whoa. the contest. Hey, that's awesome! Make sure you sh- uh, share that on social media. That's too. a it's that's- a little teaser. A little teaser I'm throwing for you. Look at you, bud. I love it. You know, and, and, you know, the hat tip is when you use my promo code that lets DraftKings know I'm the one who sent you. I love it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's that's digital marketing one-on-one for you, Pete. I love it. <laughs> so, love yeah. It, of course, uh, we do these shows every Monday night. Uh, you got to check them out right here on the Fight HQ YouTube channel. So be sure to hit the subscribe button. Be sure to hit that like button. That really does help out Pete as well. Also, be sure to hit that notification bell to let you know when a new video has been posted. Of course, the show is available in audio form, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It will be on iHeartRadio here uh, next probably about week. It takes it takes 14 business days for uh, the podcast to get up on iHeartRadio. So uh, be sure to look out for that. I'll let everyone know that link is up there. Of course, uh, follow Pete on Twitter and Instagram at Pete the Heat MMA. You gotta you gotta hit those IG stories with Pete. You can see some <laughs> some inside training footage that's going on there. That's right. That's I, right, man. Is the weight still coming off? Of course, of course. And you know, I'm, I've been doing a ton of cardio, and uh, I'm excited, man. Having the gym at the house is so amazing, and uh, you know, great for my girlfriend, great for me, great for my close teammates, and my pops and I. It's a uh, it's really nice. Yeah, man, I I need to get back into the gym, but like, there's still like this part of me like I don't know if I want to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like I want to work out, mm-hmm. but it's more of just you know, like it just goes back to like pre-COVID, people weren't exactly you know wiping down the equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 hard to trust people, especially when everybody's so defiant about things, and then you don't really know how you know what guidelines they're following or how much they really care <laughs> just to be honest and how careless a lot of people are. So I'm not trying to put my family members at risk from some careless people. So only allowing who I want at my place is perfect and uh, I'll keep it that way. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, I feel bad for you in the gym business cause it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's just, my wife's got a Bowflex machine here. So every once in a while I hop on that thing. Uh, it's a workout, man. Oof. Yeah, Bowflex is great. We had one at my other gym, and uh, you know, hits the whole body, especially if you have all the attachments. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a workout, man. It's definitely a workout. But uh, of course, uh, be sure to check out me and Pete coming up on Thursday on awesomeo.com. We'll be live at seven thirty p.m. Eastern time to break down uh, UFC two fifty two. Then, of course, on Saturday we'll be live. I want to say we're going to be live at four thirty p.m. Eastern time. Of course, we'll put those times out on our social media channels. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Fight HQ podcast. Be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on YouTube.